there was a, uh, a pastor back in the day, his name was Ray Ewers. And uh, there was a young man, Cole Marshall, he was also a pastor, or a young wannabe pastor, and he was talking to this older pastor about church. And this older pastor was training him and told him, hey, this is how you're supposed to come to church. And so Cole's like, okay, all right, I've got to, you know, it's going to be something deeply spiritual here. It's going to be something very, very, you know, deep. And Ray said to him, pray about where you're going to sit. Do you ever pray about where you're going to sit when you walk into church? Why would you do that? I want you to stop for a moment and ask yourself, what is my thought process when I enter the church building? Any church building that I go to, but particularly your church family. What is my thought process? Where do I go and why? Why do I sit where I sit? Tonight, as we walk through Hebrews 10, we will see that you just might, your choice of seat just might save a life. All right, we're going to dig in. Um, despite appearances, this little passage actually starts with the problem of walking into church. That is that God's Old Testament people, Israel, couldn't do it. Literally, they could not approach God. Physically, there was a cloud and it was the presence of God. And if you walked into that space in the temple where God was, you died. So our growth group's been looking this week through sort of these, these, these occurrences where it got real serious when people got close to, too close to God and they died. Now, I know you might be looking at the verse. I'm sure you are because you've got your Bible open. Um, verse 19, you might be looking at the verse thinking, hold on, hold on, Pete, the first thing it says is we have confidence to enter the most holy place. What are you talking about? They can't get close to God. Well, you've got to look at the next bit because the next bit, verse 20 says, it's a new thing that that's the case. Verse 20, it's a new and living way. This is only recent to the people who this letter has been written to. And it's obviously something they need convincing of. The whole letter is trying to convince them of this. That they know what will happen if a sinful person dares to step into the presence of Almighty God. Their history tells them, woe is me, I will be undone, I will die. Now, they did have ways of getting a little closer to God, to, to, to come just into the temple grounds, into the vicinity, but they were never in God's presence directly. Uh, in order to even get into the next room, like, like if you go to visit someone and you, you're like, as close as you can get is to be in the next room next door to them, not, you're not that close. But even to get that close, they had to bring a sacrifice, something to atone for their sins, some sort of recompense for the ways that they'd offended God. And if you do flick your eyes back to verse 3 of the chapter, the sacrifices didn't even do that effectively. But those sacrifices, says verse 3, are just an annual reminder of sins. See, bringing God a present doesn't make up for a life lived selfishly. Doing something good doesn't make up for a life lived where we don't give thanks to our Creator, don't live for Him, the one who we were made to live for. And so in the end, the sacrifices, says verse 3, were, they were more of a reminder of their sin than a cure for it. Now that's why verses 19 to 21 is so good. The good news of Jesus for these guys is access to God. Confident access. An assurance of a welcome. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we can enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by this new and living way opened up. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, this great high priest bit's kind of cool as well. See, some people can be happy to see you, but that doesn't mean that they'll treat you well. 
Let me give you an example. A mafia debt collector is happy to see you when you owe him money, but that doesn't mean it's going to end well for you, right? Uh, the bailiff welcomes the defendant into the courtroom. There's no guarantee that the verdict is going to be any good. We, however, have a great high priest. We have got someone who has connected us with God, not only given us access to God, but actually ensured the outcome. Jesus is the, is the one who can mediate between the human and the divine and, and deal with the offense between the two, the perfect negotiator between broken, messed up humans who continually stuff up, who continually grieve God and hurt each other, and the holy God that they've offended. So much has changed with Jesus' work. So, so these Jewish Christians who are so used to feeling inadequate to be with God need to know that they're not just welcome to speak with him, but their case has already been pleaded. It's been mediated. It's been settled. Like their lawyer shed his own blood to get that deal done. And he continues to act for them forever. Now, because that's happened, that's what's happened, right? And we're going to, this is where we start to dig into our implications for us meeting. It has implications for these Hebrews. There's these two big senses, two big senses in 19 to 21. Since we can enter his presence and since we have that mediator, since we can come in and since that guy's made it okay between us and God, there are four things to do. Four lettuces. Not lettuce, but lettuce. Four lettuces. Four, these are the instructions. The first one, draw near to God. Go in. Be with him. I mean, that's the point of a VIP pass. Not much point in having one if you don't use it. Go to him. Be with your God. Avail yourself of his friendship, of his loving tenderness towards you. You couldn't have it before, but you can now. Use it. Christians have access to the source of all life and joy, the guy who made and invented pleasure and love and relationship and fatherhood. And he says, I'm your father. Christians draw near to him. First, first let us. Second, let us. Hold on to the confession of your hope. Now, let me just read verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty... Oh, sorry, 23. Huh, wrong verse, sorry. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly because he's faithful. Don't give up on Jesus, in other words, because he's not going to give up on you. Your sin, your inadequacy, your stupidity, he's planned for that. <laughs> he's, he was aware that those things were in play. Don't go cold on Jesus. He's not going cold on you. He's faithful. Continue to trust that he will keep his promises to you and welcome you home. And live as if that's what you're betting your life on. Hold on to your hope in Jesus. Bet everything on him. Draw near to God. Um, uh, continue to hold on to that, that Jesus as your hope. And then number three, watch out for each other to provoke good deeds. Let, let, us, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Love and good works. These guys were supposed to jive each other. That word's like, the word is provoke. Poke each other in the ribs. Right? You know how brothers and sisters do that? Like, I just get to watch it every day. They're like, they're like the little smiles, they're like, hey, 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 just to get the attention, right? Bet you're too tired to say hi to the new person at church this week. Ten bucks says you can't forgive that person who hurt you last week. I'm sorry, this is getting ridiculous a bit, but like, let's have a competition to see who can make the most delicious cheap meal for someone at church who needs it. Why not? 
provoke each other. This is what it's saying. Get love happening. Provoke each other. Whatever it takes to get good deeds going, do it. Poke the bear. Now, for those who love, for those who love the, 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 the Greek technical Bible-y nerdy stuff, here, here we go. Here's, here's, this is your moment. Uh, this verse doesn't actually tell us to think of ways to provoke people. The way that the author writes it, it tells us, think of people with the aim being to provoke them. Don't think about all the ways you might do it. Think theoretically about method. Think about people for the purpose of provoking them to love. You see the slight difference? You're not supposed to sit there sort of wondering about methodology the whole time. We're not meant to have Bible studies where we think about, okay, how would be the best way to do this? And we just spend ages in contemplation, strategy. No, no, we're just supposed to think about people in such a way that moves us to provoke them to love. Don't sit there for hours thinking about the best way to say, hey, let's pray for your friend in such a way that, oh, I don't want it to come across wrong. I don't want them to think that I think I'm better than them because I'm encouraging them to be godly and I don't want them to think I'm a better Christian than them. So I've got to sit here and think about the best, absolute best way to do it. It's not telling you to sit there and mull over the best way to do it. It's just saying do it. It's saying, saying think about the person because you want them to love other people. Think about the brother or sister sitting next to you. Just literally stop and do it. Think about someone who's sitting near you. Think about how you could love them. To be jealous for them to live a godly life. What would it mean for you to have your objective for that person to love others tonight for the next hour and a half or so while they're at church? Don't paralyze yourself through analysis of how to do it. Love them by pushing them to love as well. All right, now, one last thing on this point of uh, provoking each other to love it's not optional. Like, I kind, of, I, I kind of have presented it like a cute idea. Like, oh, you know, interesting one. Yeah, what a provoke, you know. Uh, but this, it's, it's not a strategy from a Christian self-help book. If you're a Christian, this is a command. To stir up other Christians to love and good deeds. You, you don't have the option to, like, just go on with your Christian life trying to be godly in and of yourself. It's not what you're asked to do. If you're not doing this, we're being disobedient Christians minding our own business when God said don't just mind your own business you don't have an option to just get on with your life God took that away with this verse sorry think about other people in our church all right last one meet and encourage let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching we're nearly done notice it doesn't say on Sundays this is not the come to church verse. This is the get together, meet and gather and encourage each other verse. Whatever day it's on. Encourage someone. Bolster their faith. Give them courage for a new week with Christ. Use your time for that. Make that part of your week. I mean, this Sunday's great. Please do come on Sundays. It's when we organize to get together. It's kind of a bit of a shame if we set aside the time and then not everyone does it. But encourage your brother or sister. Think about someone in your row. Now, a little bit of an interesting thing. It sounds warm and fuzzy, this, doesn't it? It sounds like just a be nice fest. You know, be nice to everyone at church. Um, but, but there's a little, the little, last little verse there. I want you to see it. It says here, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's that doing there? 
all the more as you see the approaching. I, when I read that, I was like, but that's the opposite of what I would do. Like, I'm like, surely it makes it less necessary if Jesus is just about to come back and clean everything up anyway. So, like, it's not going to have, I'm going to invest in this person. They're going to have that much longer to, to do all of these good works that I provoked them to and whatever. It, it seems like a bit of a waste of effort to do long-term investment when Jesus might be coming soon. Now, that would make sense if we took these verses out of context. If we just ended there if we didn't read the next few verses. Those of you who've got it open, read it with me. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, this was the Old Testament agreement that God had with his people Israel, well, they died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a person deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. See, why all the more as we see the day approaching? Why are we supposed to encourage each other? Not so each other feel good, but so that we don't end up facing God as judge. And you might think, well, I thought they were so secure with Jesus. I thought Jesus was taking responsibility for their salvation. Yes, he is. That's the point. So it, it, we have to keep encouraging each other to be in Christ, to go to him. This whole letter is to make sure that people keep going. They keep going to the Christ, keep calling on the Christ, living as if he's their only hope. We need each other to keep each other from judgment. Because the day is approaching. Do you, oh, do you come to church thinking, right, I need to go to church because Pete needs me to encourage him so that he won't end up facing the judgment of God on the last day? Because you should. I need you to be thinking that when you walk through the door. We need each other to be thinking that for each other. I, I need you to come to church reminding me to hold firm to the hope that I preach to you about. Why, Pete. Are you holding on to Jesus this week? Is he the one you've been relying on? I need that question. You need that question asked of you. Now, I'd rather not have someone ask me that question often because sometimes we're embarrassed to answer honestly. Particularly, it's easy for me to because I'm like, I'm supposed to be the preacher. I'm supposed to somehow, in some sort of silly, uh, wrong thinking, um, not have problems. No, 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 no. We all, I think, feel like walking to church, aren't we? You don't want to say too much that you've actually not been a good Christian. Let's stop pretending. If someone asks us that question, let's defeat our shame. Like Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. And be real with each other. Let's ask and invite that question in truth. I mean, you guys heard that judgment bit I just read out to you, right? Like, the stakes are too high. It's each other's souls for us to, like be caring about being you know nice and non-confrontational not pushing each other not provoking each other we can't keep letting shame win when you're here like the building it's not the building it's it's just with these people it's our house so turn on the heat pump like if the window needs opening open the window like if the if if, if i'm up here and my microphone's not on yeah let i pete your microphone's not like take responsibility it's it's we're a family Right? There's no professionals here. There's no one who's in charge running the show. Like, it's just us. 
So just take responsibility. You're part of the family. Um, relate outside your comfort zone. We talked about that, and I, you just did a great job of doing that then for the purposes of taking God's Word seriously. Um, but that's another one. Just maybe even just being at church, remembering, take God's Word seriously. God is coming to judge the world. And so take encouraging each other to stick hold on, on to Jesus in faith seriously. It might be much... Some, the person you're sitting next to might be much closer to giving up on Jesus than you thought. And last one, I just want to say this one because I think this is actually kind of key. This is the one that's the hardest one to do maybe, but it's actually one that I think, because of that, maybe we're the worst at it. I want to encourage you to extend your circle by one. I don't just mean sitting next to someone once to be nice to them. Bring that person into your circle. Make them your friend. Take responsibility to enfold them into the fellowship of the church. Invite, when you're going out to, to do something, invite them to go with you. Don't just be nice to them after church on Sunday, leaving them going home saying, oh, someone was nice to me after church on Sunday, but they're not going to talk to me through the week because they don't care. This is the hard one. I want to encourage you to extend your circle by one. If none of us do it, there will be many who will be left out in the cold, lonely, or even facing judgment with no hope of mercy because no one's bothered to look out for them enough to ask them any spiritual questions or to be their friend, enough of a friend and, and to know them well enough to have the, you know, the respect and the connection to ask any spiritual questions. But if all do, of us do it, we will share in the joy of the farmer whose fields are ripe for harvest and many will be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for church. Thank you for this family. Um, we are family to each other, whether we like it or not, and whether it's easy or not. And Lord, it's been so encouraging to, in, to, to hear the different people amongst us provoking each other to look out for each other that we might do love and good deeds. Father, we just pray that you would empower us by your Spirit that we would know because, because you as your, uh, the great Heavenly Father are alongside us and smiling on us and we have access to you and we can hang out with you whenever we want, that we would not want anyone to miss out on that and that that would motivate us to love and good deeds and to provoke each other also. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.